RadioInfluence.com. Welcome to episode number eight of the Fight HQ podcast. That is a fighter, Pete Rogers Jr. I am Jason Floyd coming here on this Monday evening, September 28th, just a couple of days after UFC 253. Israel Adesanya retains the middleweight title, and uh, Jan Blahovich is your light heavyweight champion, which, I, you know, I mean, obviously I did not see that one coming, Pete, but how about this? The fact of Stipe Miocic is the only American champion in the UFC currently. Yeah, when you, when you brought that up to me, I thought that was pretty interesting, and, uh, you know, you know, I think it was Saturday afternoon we were talking about you know, for DFS, who will could ju- just completely ruin everybody's lineups and who could be that underdog that comes through that nobody's giving him a shot. And you brought up Jan Blahovich. I was like, yeah, that's not happening. And he went out there and just absolutely murked Dom Reyes. And, uh, man, you know, crazier things have happened. And uh, it goes to show you that experience really helped Jan Blahovich out in that scenario. Look, look great throughout the the entire fight until he got the finish there. I mean, yeah, you talk about uh, it was pretty much a, a, essentially a, what I would call a night of underdogs. You have Jan Blahovich as an underdog go out there win. Brandon Royville, uh, that was a guy that we both kind of talked about, especially as a DFS underdog play. He goes out there and cash. This is a guy now 2-0 in the UFC. You know, he's got two fight night bonuses. He's, he's out there, and uh, he's going to find himself in a very big 125-pound fight. Going forward, uh, you had uh, Keem Duwadu as a, a minor underdog go out there win. Very close decision, that one. Uh, that that should be the note to all fighters. Don't run when you think you're up two rounds of nothing because uh, you know you can never trust the judges. Never trust the judges. Uh, also, we had uh, William Knight go out there and get a decision win. Uh, just, I mean, just the power he used to get out of some of those takedowns. Um, congratulations to him. And also Danilo Marquis in the first fight of the night goes out there. And uh, yeah, I, I certainly made the massive mistake of why, Pete, when when you hear me talking about playing the first fight of the night, you got to start saying, Jason, you're golden rule, man. What are you doing? Yeah. Duh, man, you broke your golden rule. And of course, you probably played uh, Cadiz Ibragamov. Uh, and man, I had a few lineups with him in it. And what a disappointing UFC career. Uh, really just goes 0 and 4, you know, and gets dropped pretty quickly. Well, I would imagine he'll get dropped pretty quickly. And, uh, Danilo Marquez, a, you know, a relatively unknown guy from Kings MMA, goes in there and uh, takes the fight to his strong suit in, in the grappling fashion and, uh, you know, gets it done. I thought it was a good, you know, overall good card. Um, I actually did fall asleep, Jason. <laughs> I fell asleep. I didn't make it. I was exhausted, man. And I passed out trying to look at which fights I, f- I fell asleep. I fell asleep at the uh, Caitlin Vieira at Sajara Eubanks fight. I actually slept through the Royal and Kai Kara France fight, and I was really upset about that. Um, checked my Twitter, and I was like, oh, my God, everybody's saying, you know, what a great call, Brandon Royal. I'm like, well, I guess he pulled it off. I actually ended up going back and rewatching it. But then, uh, you know, so I paid the pay-per-view and only got to see, what, three three of the five fights or something silly like that. But, you know, the co-main and the main event definitely, uh, you know, definitely helped out, and it was still a great card. Yeah, Royal France is a fight that if you've not seen, you gotta go and check that fight. That was a, uh, you know, a fun 125 pound fight. I mean, you think about, you know, year, year and a half ago, the UFC is talking about getting rid of 125 pounds and, and whether that just, 
I, I don't, it, you know, how much of that is the message was sent and received by men's 125 pound fires. But man, we've had some exciting 125 pound fights over the past, you know, six to nine months. I love the light, the light guys. I really do. 155 and under is just, I absolutely love those weight classes. I always have. Brandon Royville is a huge 125er, and I think that we could actually see a, uh, you know, him, you know, being a, a contender in that division. I, he's pretty well rounded, um, and it just breaks my heart to think that one of my favorite martial artists of all time, Demetrius Johnson, got traded, oddly enough, out of the UFC because they thought that they were going to banish the 125 pound weight class with him getting out, and it was kind of just like, you know, we're just going to move on and. Um, to see the 125-pound weight class without him there really hurts me. It really does. I would love for them to reacquire him somehow. I don't know if that would ever happen. I know he likes it over there uh, for one, but I, I would love to have him back. Bro, he's getting paid. Paid. I, know. I mean, it's smart. I mean, uh, my buddies it's, – it's weird you bring this up because my buddies and I are actually talking about him today, and he's getting paid. I mean, the guy's living the life. He's going out there. I mean, he's fighting good competition, but nowhere near UFC type of talent. Getting paid a lot more, able to play video games. Like, my man, I like him a lot. I, I envy his life a lot. I feel like that's he's just living a life, dude, and he's getting paid. Yeah, God, God bless you. It's all about getting paid in this sport. Before we uh, talk about Adesanya's performance in the main yeah. event, I want to get your take on something he said after the fact, because one of his teammates ended up losing a fight where his opponent missed weight by four pounds, weighed in early, clearly was not trying to cut additional weight. And, and he, he mentioned about how when fighters miss weight, there needs to be more of a penalty than 20 or 30%. He threw out the number 90%. Let me get your take as a fighter in the game about missing weight and, you know, I guess on the regional level, I think if you told a fighter he lost 9% of his purse, I don't know if that really changes a lot because of what the purses are on the regional scene. Um, I, I don't know if the UFC would ever go, go to this, but like, what's your take on, is, is there a financial penalty to put on fighters that would make sure that they live up to the agreement they signed to make X weight on X day? I mean, I think the only people that would be against uh, Adesanya's proposition would be people that cut a ton of weight and don't feel confident in their abilities of making weight. I mean, a guy like me, I'm all for that. And I've had my opponents um, miss weight before, and it's really upset me and pissed me off. And uh, because you definitely know about, you know, the background of some of the fighters that you're fighting, up, of course. And if they come from a grappling background, you know, those extra pounds can definitely, you know, work in their favor because if you think about it, say the fight's at 155 and the guy weighs in at 160, well, you could probably add about 20, 25 pounds to that. So fight night, he's going to be ballooned and going to be probably outweighing you in that matchup. So it's a definite advantage for the guy who misses weight. Now, I do think that there should be harsher penalties, but of course the commission would have to institute that. The UFC couldn't. Um, you know, I, I think that the UFC could get, you know, something, some terminology in the contracts or whatnot, um, where there could be penalties moving forward with upcoming bouts um, for like the negotiation periods and stuff. And maybe that would really weigh on some fighters and, and make some fighters think think twice. But I think we're always going to have this, this problem of cutting weight. Um, 
I, I think no matter what, there's going to be issues like this. And I would totally love to see them, you know, implement more than 20%. Usually 30, it doesn't happen. It's usually 20% of your purse. Um, anywhere, you know, upwards towards 50%, I think you could start, you know, making fighters try a little bit more. I know a fighter who got fined 50% of his purse. Melvin Gillard, when he was going to take on Justin Gaethje, he, Gillard misses weight. And uh, at that time, Gaethje was represented by uh, Trevor Whitman. And Whitman, mm -hmm. since he knew Melvin, he decided, I'm going to ask for 50%, and Melvin agreed to it. Um, I've heard on the regional scene of a fighter losing 90% of his purse. See, see this, is Pete, this is why you need me in your corner. Let's say we got a fight for you in whatever date. It's at 55. Guy missed weight 160. This is where I go in the negotiating process. I go... My guy Pete's going to weigh 175 tomorrow night. When you step into the arena tomorrow night, you're hopping on the scale. If you're not 175, I'm going for 50% already. You're not 175, we're getting another 20% on top of that. Oh, boy. I like this. I tell you, I've been saying Jason would be an amazing manager. Okay? Uh, and, um, you know, that's that's what you need is you definitely need somebody behind you that knows the ins and outs of the sport. You know, you mentioned Trevor Whitman. And somebody that's really good with negotiating. Now, negotiating all lies on leverage. It all depends on how much leverage you have with the company, the promotion. Um, Joe Joe Blow can't just always, you know, try to strong arm a promotion or a company because they're really not going to, you know, work around or work for him so much, so to speak. Whereas uh, a guy that's fighting in his hometown, that sold a ton of tickets, that they're relying on a lot of money through the door – or, uh, you know, mm -hmm. he's going to be providing a lot of eyeballs because of him, you know, fighting, you know, on the card or whatnot. I think you'll see certain fighters have more leverage than others. And that's just, you know, the nature of the beast. That's how it is that's in cool. any sport, really. I mean, if, if LeBron James flexes his muscles to the league, the league is going to listen mm -hmm. a lot more than, say, you know, somebody who's sitting on the bench. Oh, no, you're, you're spot on. I mean, the thing about it to me is all it ultimately comes down to is, A, do you believe your opponent truly attempted to make the contract wait? That's going to be part of it. Like if you sit there and you weigh in 90 minutes before the commission is going to be done with the weigh in process. Well, why didn't you take that additional 90 minutes to try to lose some more weight? You know, that to me is where, and then I would ultimately, I'd look at the commission and I would say, can you tell me if he's dehydrated? Yeah. I mean, I've had my opponents when I fought on Bellator at Mohegan Sun. Um, I've had opponent miss weight and um, you know show up and just sitting there for we're talking probably an hour, hour and a half while you know you could be still grinding out that extra weight. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, oh man, he made weight. And then when uh, he missed weight, it's like, okay, well he probably didn't want to try the last couple pounds and just said you know, screw it. I'm going to hope that my opponent accepts. I'll get fined a little bit, but at least I don't have, I don't have to kill myself to make the, the, the weight. And to me, when I'm sitting here, I'm like, man, in the back, you were there just chilling while, while we were doing the, you know, the pre-weigh-in meetings and this and that, when you could be sitting there, you know, trying hard, doing sprints, you know, putting a garbage bag on, doing whatever you can to, to really reach that contract weight. So when a guy tries to do that, it's almost like, I don't know, it rubs me the wrong way, of course, and I, I hate people who miss weight to begin with. 
Well, I mean, let's be honest about it. If you, you know, like, let's just say you, you were, let's say you were three pounds off from making weight. Let's say we're yeah. fighting Mohegan. And even if there's a, a pre, you know, meeting with a commission, I'm sure I could go up to Mike Mazzulli and go, Mike, look, Peace Guy cut three more pounds. I'll, I'll be here to listen to whatever you have to say for him. Right. But my, my guy's trying to lose the weight. I guarantee you, Mazzulli would go, okay, cool. We just got to make sure doctors look at him after, make sure he's, you know, he's not dehydrated himself, all that. I, I think if you have that working relationship with the commission, I, I think also the issue is in the fight island aspect. We're talking about a self-regulated event. Um, and, and it's just when you, when you look at somebody who missed weight by f- two fighters, missed weight by four pounds, it just it makes you kind of go, why did that happen? Yeah, I think the fight island, I don't want to give these guys a pass. But what they have to go through to to make the weight and to you know go through all the hoops of the COVID testing and the, the the travel and you know I mean granted it's it's no different than going to to fight in Abu Dhabi normally or um, you know overseas or or whatnot you have to adjust your training schedule you have to start your cut earlier and a lot of guys get screwed up because you know that let's say twelve to fourteen hour difference or whatever it is. Uh, you know, you lose a day. So a lot of times these guys would make weight, Jason. They're just like lagging behind. They're like a day, you know, and they, they didn't, they didn't take the time to sit down and really understand, you know, the time difference, what day is going to be what day. I mean, it sounds like it's seven days away, but really it's probably six. And then when you're talking about, you know, how heavy you can be because of the long flight and this and that. There's so many obligations for UFC fighters, but when you sign the contract, you got to make weight. Yeah, point is simple. You got to make weight. If you sit there and agree to, I'm going to make 156 on weigh-in day, you got to make 156. I mean, that's just it's, you know, that's, it's it's not. I mean, they give you a pound. You know what I mean? Like it's not like you have to you have to make you know championship weight. If I could see that happening a lot, whereas if they made you make championship weight, so 155 pounds on the nose, that's tough sometimes because you got scales that are off and, you know, mm-hmm. but they give you a pound, a pound allowance, man. Like, I mean, it, the, the missing by five pounds is just ridiculous. No, no, I'm, I'm with you on that. Um, you know, we mentioned about, uh, I mean, how about Costa? He's like the first one on the scale, which was the thing that surprised me the most on scale 185, but, uh, yeah, it was all Israel Adesanya right from the start of that fight. The fight wasn't even close. Um, you know, one of the things that I wanted to mention to you is, is two aspects on this. A is the striking of Israel Adesanya because, look, you are a striker. That's what everyone knows you for. But also leg kicks because mm-hmm. we saw that be a huge part of Israel's game plan in this one. And it was evident very early on in the opening round that Paul Acosta – was not check. He didn't check any of them. And you brought up a great point right before we started doing the show of if you're not checking leg kicks in your preparations for the fight, the likelihood is you're not going to check them in the fight. A lot of people don't take the time to learn how to check or take the time necessary to to really acquire the skills of checking leg kicks. Now, it's not tough. It's really not tough to do. You lift your knee up, you turn your shin outwards, you block with your knee and or your shin. Um, you don't want to block with your foot. But the problem is it's a timing issue. And in this scenario, in this fight, you saw a clash of styles. 
you saw a dominant kickboxer, Muay Thai type of practitioner in Israel Adesanya, who's like a surgeon. He goes in there and he's just so precise with everything. And you have a guy in Paulo Costa who's a brute brawler who has more mostly a boxing style. So when you have mostly a boxing style, you're going to be heavier on your lead foot. So when you're heavier on your lead foot, even if you were accustomed to to checking leg kicks, you're going to be slower. Your reaction time is going to, your reaction time is going to be slower. So, you know, tr- having to take the weight off your front foot to then be able to lift your knee against a guy who kicks so fast and so hard in Israel Adesanya, you really just need to get caught with the first two. And then next thing you know, now you're slightly impaired by that. Your your legs hampered by that. And now you know, you're having problems just moving around and now now you just want to hit the guy so much you don't even care about your leg because you already know it's screwed up. Um, you know, it was just an excellent game plan. Goes to show you that the sport of MMA has really, really just, you know, surrounded a lot on calf kicks. And calf kicks are so huge in today's sport and people don't seem to understand their effectiveness. You crack somebody below below the knee, you know, it takes a couple takes a couple kicks, sometimes one kick. Look at Sean O'Malley. Steps wrong, you know, you know, uh, twists his ankle a little bit. You know, I, just beating up that lead leg was so smart because against a guy who's so bullish like Paulo Costa, looking to come forward at you, take his legs out. If he's got no legs, it's going to affect his mobility, and now you can just dance around him and poke at him from the outside, hit him with your broomstick jab. And that's what we saw. And uh, Israel Adesanya just lit him up like a Christmas tree. Excellent performance. It was honestly like a, a slightly different, but it reminded me of like when TJ Dillashaw fought Hedden Barrow and he came in there and just was so precise with everything and just really, it was such a one-sided competition and uh, you know, so much for fight of the year, Jason. Yeah. I mean, you could kind of see the, the disappointment in Dana White after a fact, but look, this is a fight game. You can't, you yeah. can't guarantee whether a fight is going to be exciting, fun, or, or, or be you know one-sided as it was. I thought Felder brought up a great point in the broadcast of the leg kicks that Israel was throwing was he was hitting all portions of the lower leg. He was he was targeting various spots. Um, you know, it kind of felt like Paul Costa's game plan was to try to take the Yoel Romero game plan, which I don't. In a way, I understand why you would come up with that game plan, but I'm also like that's not Paul Costa. This is a, this is an aggressive fight. I kind of thought they took that aggressive out of it. You know, I saw Paul look, seeking for a rematch. Look, I like watching Paul Costa fight, uh, bro. You are going to need several dynamic wins before you get a title shot because you know when you when you have that kind of performance where you just get dominated by the champion, you're going to have to put some work in to get your way back to a title shot. Yeah, I think naturally that's how it should be, right? I mean. Uh... There's plenty of contenders in that division and let Adesanya start, you know, fighting a few others. Um, I think a rematch makes sense if Paulo Costa rebounds and uh, goes out there and, you know, light some people up and put some people away. I mean, he's going to be in the top five for a very long time. The guy is so talented and uh, he's so well-rounded, it seems. Um, You know, Adesanya's length was really just a difference here and it showed to be a big problem. And uh, despite being the skinny guy, he, he went in there and got it done. Yeah, I didn't understand his criticism toward the media. Maybe it's just articles I just didn't see. Maybe it's, you know, I mean, look, I do think that people, um, they count him out 
I think throughout his entire UFC run, he's always been kind of countered out. And and look, the guy's undefeated for a reason. We'll see what happens with him there. Chemayev said he'd be down to fight. I'm like, whoa, whoa, slow down, Hamza. You need to work your way up a little bit. Um, you know they're gonna they're gonna have Chemayev headline a card or, or seek in December. Uh, initially, they had, they had, um, it looks like they've moved past the Damian Maya fight, which I'm actually kind of glad that's the case. Uh, they they mentioned uh, I guess apparently Stephen Thompson was a fight they were looking at. Thompson is more interested in a Leon Edwards fight, which you totally understand there. Uh, Neil Magny has said he would be interested in, in fighting Shemaev. That's kind of an interesting one. Uh, Shemaev's going to be put in a big fight, but I'm like, okay, Shemaev, man, you need to. I, I my thing is still the same with Shemaev is. I, I would like to see him stick with one weight class. I'd like to see him go at 171st, see if he can make a run there, and then then move up to 85 at some point. But, I mean, look, he's he's going to get a big fight. But let's slow down on him fighting the champion. Yeah, you know, a name stuck out to me the other day, and I'm not sure why. I was thinking Derek Brunson because Derek Brunson just took out Edmund Shabazian. Um, I, I thought that that was a very impressive performance. Brunson throws very, very powerful strikes, does have good wrestling as well. You know, that's the type of thing if you want to build up Chemayev, you put him against a guy like that. Uh, it turned out to be a little bit too much too soon for Shabazian, but uh, maybe Derek Brunson's kind of going to welcome this, uh, you know, this thing of, of, you know, destroying the hype train, so to speak, and I think it'd be a good fight. There's another thing I wanted to get your perspective on in terms of this fight card, and that's Diego Sanchez. Um, you know, look, he, you know, Diego a warrior been around this sport for a long time, but there were times where you could hear the corner and it just, it, and look, tell me if I'm wrong. And look, I understand that you're going to know your fighter better than other people outside corner, but there were times I just like, you would hear like Stefan Bonner going, come on nightmare. I'm like, there's no technical advice there. Like, are you a coach or you're a cheerleader? Like, am I wrong in saying that? I mean, look, I I know you'll shoot me straight, but am I wrong in saying that? No, I mean, you know, you definitely need to wake your fighter up sometimes. And maybe, um, you know, because Diego Sanchez has had, I don't know how many nicknames now. So maybe he was trying to, you know, find that old self and, and try to get in there and perform like his old self. But, man, I think Stefan Bonner you know, can provide some actual, you know, some actual advice. Whereas his other corner, Josh Fabia, that guy doesn't know how to fight. That guy doesn't know how to train people. That guy is, you know, just basically, um, how can I say this? He's using Diego because Diego's Diego had a, a tough, you know, part of his life and he's, uh, he's vulnerable. So, Josh Fabio kind of came in at a good time, and uh, he's feeding him BS, and Diego Sanchez is a little nutty to begin with, and he's eating it up, and I really, really feel bad for Diego Sanchez, and I hope he understands what's happening because Josh Fabio is just using him. Bro, the clip of the week last week was was Matt Sarah put Joshua Fabio in his place. Like I saw a a, a clip from uh, DC and Hawaii today where DC goes for being the, the man of the school of awareness. He wasn't very aware of don't interrupt Matt Sarah when he's eating. Yeah, for real. <laughs> I mean, that is just rude to begin with. Like, I think if, if you were to approach somebody when they're eating or when they're with their family, I think that's a big no, no, I, I, I haven't heard 
too many instances of celebrities or whatnot that being a positive interaction. I mean, that's their own personal time. That's just a, you don't do that. And you know what I mean? Like they're normal people, let them do whatever. Uh, Josh Fabian trying to come at Matt Sarah and, and get some respect. I think at the end of it, he, he left with, a, you know, left with a lot less than that. I, I think that uh, Matt Sarah really put him in his place. And uh, he's like, dude, I don't even know your name. And uh, I've seen your videos and I don't buy what you're doing. I like Diego. I know what you're doing with Diego. I hope you make a lot of money off of Diego. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it, it's terrible. I mean, the guy in, in several interviews was talking about acknowledgement for what he did. And not, he wanted the acknowledgement, acknowledgement. And it's just like. Come on, guy. Like, I mean, I, I think there's more to the story, Jason, and I think we'll uh, start to slowly see that revealed as time goes on. But uh, I, I don't like this guy around Diego Sanchez what, whatsoever. Yeah, my, my two biggest, you know, from that, what, minute, two-minute video was, which clearly, A, like, there was a, a, a camera there filming Matt for um, the Dana White show. Yeah. And so I'm sitting there going, okay, if the camera's not there, does Fabia walk up? Like, my first thought was like, is this guy seeking attention? Yep. Um, I, I started busting out laughing when, when Matt Sarah tells him, make as much money off Diego as you can. Um, it, it's, I mean, look, at the end of the day, fighters fight, coaches coach. And when I was hearing that corner audio that we could hear during the fight, I just, I was like, where is the technical advice? That, that was a thing that kind of concerned me. And I look at Diego, and, and I know that he wants to finish out his career. Um, by the way, I don't know what, why Jake Matthews in the final round of that fight, as he's got Diego busted up, of why he just doesn't stand up and make Diego stand up. You talk about fight IQ. That I looked at that and go, Jake, what are you doing, bro? Yeah, it, it showed he's, what, 25, 26? And, yeah. uh, you know, I, I I was saying the same thing. And, you know, Jake Matthews went out there and had a good performance. I mean, he's 20, uh, 12 years younger than Diego Sanchez, and Diego Sanchez has a ton of experience. But Diego did not look good. And, uh, you know, Diego's getting chased by knives in a cage by his, his coach, Josh Fabia, rather than training with some of the best fighters in the world at Greg Jackson's. Uh, when Josh Fabia came into the picture and uh, Coach Winklejohn, you know, kind of questioned and pressed Diego about who is this guy, what is he doing, um, it was a very – he got very defensive and never, you know, he, he didn't stay around at Jackson's MMA. And I think that's really, really detrimental to his performance and – you know, I feel for Diego, and I feel like we're all fans of Diego because he's one of the originals. But man, you got to surround yourself with actual fighters and train instead of doing some weird stuff with Josh Fabia. Yeah, I mean, first off, I, I think and Fabia is also his manager as well at oh. this point. Yeah, oh, yeah, oh, you didn't know that? Oh, yeah, yeah he's uh, he's his manager, coach, inspirational yeah. everywhere. Which oh, is yeah, bad. It's which, like it's like he's like a a mini Don King. You know what I mean? At this point, Diego should not be fighting young, up-and-coming guys like Jake Matthews. Find him fighters in their mid-30s, late-30s that he should be competing against. To me, that that's, you know, the U I understand what the UFC is doing here. The UFC is saying, we have got a guy who we know is not going to be here much longer. He's got name value. 
Let's use that name value to sell up some young up and coming prospects. And that's what happened here with Jake Matthews. Yes, Jake's been around for a, for a long time now in the UFC. I mean, I think once he's been in the UFC you know, three, four years at this point, but that's what Diego's got to be. In, and that's where you got to have the right people in your corner that are saying, Diego, this is not the fight to take because there was never a point in that. I mean, the outside of the one time in the third round where, you know, he was looking for that submission. There was never another point where you were like, okay, he can go back and win this fight. I mean, the, what was it? Start of third round when he tries to go Jorge Masvidal, like, no, he wasn't going to catch anybody with that. Oh, it made me chuckle. It made me chuckle. Oh, man. Yeah, I, I think that, you know, you know, my girlfriend ended up, uh, mentioning a fight that I think does kind of make a lot of sense. And it's for fighters that have been in it a while and, uh, not facing, you know, the best results in their career. And they used to train together. I don't know how friendly they are, but I think a Diego Sanchez, Cowboy Cerrone fight does make quite a bit of sense. If, you know, they, they don't, neither one of them train at Jackson's anymore. They used to, um, they're both at the, you know, that I, I shouldn't say the end of their careers, but you know, it's, it's close. And, um, I we're, think we're that, getting towards yeah, the end of the book. Yeah. I mean, in a couple, you know, last couple chapters and, uh, you know, Diego and Cowboy, I think would make a lot of sense. I, I do. I mean, they both were, used to be 55 ers 170. Um, you know, I think, I think it's a good fight. I really do. This is my thing about Diego is, is he going to be a fighter that is able to leave the sport on his own terms oh. or is he going to leave the sport? of a promoter taking advantage of his name. Why 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 do I see Diego Sanchez's career ending in bare knuckle boxing? Yeah, I think you're right. Um I don't think Dana will do that to him. I think Dana will give him a couple more shots and then let him go. I think he talked about it in the post fight presser. I mean, these guys that are close to Dana are guys from like Tough One and uh you know, I think that Diego has so much fight left in him that he's going to do it one way or another, whether it's in a UFC or not. Bellator will sign him in a, in a heartbeat. We already know that. Uh, Bare Knuckle would definitely speak his name. And, uh, man, I wouldn't want to see that either because he'd get destroyed. Yeah, it, it's just uh, – yeah. But I feel like it's – the odds are that's a good chance that likely happens. You know, yeah. just and, – and that's – I mean, look, it's a tough thing. You know, I mean – the the combat sports game is rarely a sport where you get to go out on your own terms. Yeah, it's it's a tough sport because it's a very it's very addicting. It really is because there's nothing like it's been a while since I've been in the cage or it feels like a while. It's been a year now, and uh, you know there's no feeling on earth like a feeling of winning a fight. I can't explain to you the pressures involved in leading up to a fight how much hard work and dedication leading up to a fight um expectations doubt uh you know positive thoughts negative thoughts like it is the biggest roller coaster ride in the craziest time you i think you can ever experience it's so weird so when that's gone and like for me it's been a year i'm longing for that like you know especially how my last fight went i want to get back in there man like I wanted to get back in there ASAP. I want to erase that, and that's that's what a lot of fighters do. Is 
you know, having an L or having a loss is such a terrible feeling and it's so ugly to look at on a record. And it's like, I just want to erase that and kind of like, I don't know, prove to myself that I'm better than that. So like you're, you're only known as your best, you know, your, your, your last fight. So it's like, if you lose a fight, you suck. You win a fight. Now everybody thinks you're good again when really you're just the same person. So you're telling me I need to hit up your dad and say he needs to grab some knives and chase you around the gym. <laughs> yeah. But look at my dad is like, my dad's crazy with training like that, but like he's, it all makes sense. Like he's not going to make me do some like fairy stuff where it's, it's, it's all, it's all show and no, no practicality. Like he, he really will do some odd stuff. Like I remember, we, <laughs> Oh God. I don't know if I want to share this. I think I have to. Okay. Uh, I was in, <laughs> I was in high school. Okay. And, uh, we had a, we had a ring full of guys. It's good. It's making me cry right now. It's so funny. And he's, my pop shut the, shut the lights off. That's <laughs> we, we were sparring. <laughs> and made us continue sparring. And when I tell you the sound effects, I wish I wish I had a recording because the sound effects you're just hearing people getting hit left and right, ooh, uh, ooh, boom, and, you, and I'm just swinging with all my might. But like, oh god. Okay, hold on, hold on, hold on. So, I, 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 how close are each other to to like? Are we are we talking like this is like a, a thirty by like, thirty room and there's like, you know, twenty dudes sparring? Oh no, no we got. We got a um, you know a full size ring, right? And we probably have three to four groups in there, so probably six to eight people in a full size boxing ring. Oh man, that was that was incredible. So dangerous. I mean, when we turned the lights back on, who was bloodied? Who was on the ground? Who was who was facing the wrong way? Like <laughs> it was it was hilarious. But uh, you know, my pops has done some crazy stuff like that, but nothing to the point where it's not practical like I, I i don't understand like that was like street flight practical but like uh goodness i can't imagine having a guy like josh fabian around me yeah it's uh you know that's the one thing about the these fight island shows is that you do get to hear a lot you yeah. get to hear um and there's also it's very it was it, there was a couple of times during the uh broadcast where you could fit, you could really hear how Paul Felder was getting because his voice was echoing in mm-hmm. the hall to where like I'm like man this guy screw with fighters but uh, but yeah it's uh, we're in this long stretch four more weeks of Fight Island show so uh, call all culminating with with Khabib and Gaethje back uh, October 24th which by the way is an afternoon show here in the United States so I want to say it's a 2 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, start for the pay per view, so uh, we'll probably Carl will probably start around eleven a.m. ish, ten a.m. ish here in the East Coast. So uh, I'm look, I'm always down for for afternoon. I mean, I will tell you this right now, uh, for someone who has to be at work Sunday at about eight thirty, oh, I don't think this Saturday's UFC car is going to keep me up till one o'clock in the morning. Yeah, I don't think so either. I'm looking at it right now. My goodness. Um, you know, there's a couple people that I'm really looking forward to. I'll, I'm looking forward to the main event, Holly Holm, uh, Irene Aldana. That's a good one. Uh, I always like Juliana Pena. I've kind of always really liked her. Um, always been like a fan of her. And, uh, you know, she stepped away from the cage for a little bit, came back. 
Uh, I thought that she was somebody that had a lot of potential. Carlos Conda, anytime Carlos Conda is uh, is fighting, I definitely want to watch him. He's so talented. And Casey Kenny, man. Casey Kenny's another guy that's sticking out to me. Yeah. I know yeah. you're pretty familiar with Casey Kenny. Mm-hmm. You, you talk and have uh, interviews with him all the time. You know, the kid is so good. And I think he has a nice matchup here, too. Yeah. Uh, the one thing that, that stuck out to me mm-hmm. when they were promoting that card on Saturday was the fact of... DeCastro Felipe is the co-main event and not uh, Duranami and Pena. That one was a little surprising to me. I don't get that. I think it was. I'll tell you why they didn't do that, Jason. And it's because they didn't want to have co-main and main event of, of women's MMA. They didn't want to do that. They thought that that for some reason just would rub people the wrong way or they would lack interest. But let me tell you. No offense, I don't think that this co-main is a true co-main at all. At all. I, I would much rather Carlos Condit and Court McGee. Jermaine versus Juliana should be the co-main event. The only thing I can maybe think of is they're looking at the Castro Felipe as being a one-round fight. And they want to, you know, kind of maybe, you know, maybe you can get people a little more excited, stick around. But uh, the main car starts at 10.30 p.m. Eastern time on um on Saturday, prelims start at seven thirty. I want to say uh, we're going to be on awesome at six thirty p.m. Eastern time coming up on uh, on on Saturday. But yeah, it's just it's not appointment television watching for me. And uh, the fact that I have to be up early on a Sunday morning probably means uh, you know I will not uh, be getting up uh, early. But of course, you got a ton of MMA coming up this weekend. Um, you know, on Thursday we've got Bellator two forty seven. Paul Daly versus Derek Anderson. This actually be the first Bellator event. That'll be a part of the CBS Sports Network. Uh, also, uh, this weekend, we have got Bellator Europe ni- number nine, James Gallagher versus Cal Eleanor. Those two guys have been going back and forth for a while now. Uh, also mentioned the LFA card, Ashkar. Ashkar is going to be in the main event. I'm actually talking to him tomorrow on Tuesday. So look for that on the MMAReport.com coming up this week. So there, there is a good amount, I will tell you. But uh, definitely next weekend, really looking forward to that Marlon Marais Corey Sandhagen fight. That's a hell of a fight. That really is a good fight. Um, I'm looking at this Bellator card. I love watching Paul Daly fight. I actually, Paul Daly used to come into the uh, the club that I was in charge of security at, at Mohegan Sun after Bellator events. So I actually know Paul. Um, he's a cool guy. He's a cool, he likes to party. He's a cool guy, though. Um, anytime Paul's fighting, man, Paul Daly just throws crazy punches. Derek, that's Derek Anderson. That's a good fight. That really is a good fight. But I think Paul's got this. So I've I've interviewed Paul countless occasions. Um, yeah, and uh, you always know when Paul likes the interview because at the end of it, he'll say, "Good one, mate." <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's such a cool guy, man. Uh, he really is. He's a cool guy. I like him. Such a boring fight to have Michael Page. Oh man, that was awful. Oh man. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. Um, was that the day after I fought? Yeah, that and that was the day after Mitrione Kartanov ends with the nut oh shot in the God. first round. Man, Mohegan Sun is cursed with the nut shots. Yeah, it's uh. By the way, uh, so God, I forget what fight it was. It was a fight where Jason Herzog stood up the fight on Saturday and I forget who it was. And uh so I tweeted, I go, I think Jason Herzog's one of the best referees in MMA. 
do not agree with that decision, that stand-up. It was at 11.05 p.m., so I want to say it was it was during uh, Vieira and Eubanks. And uh, Herzog uh, quoted my tweet, said, that's fair. I'll watch it again. I was like, okay, cool. At least right. I, I will say this. I was not in the minority in that one. Yeah. See, that's that- cool. I mean, I think that interaction with, like we always say, with officials or whatnot and that's what you got to do. I mean, you take accountability when you make a mistake and you try to get better. And I think, you know, if you had some, some slight criticism or some feedback from your boss or whatever, you mm-hmm. make adjustments and try to become better every single day. And I, I think that's more people should, should follow Herzog. If that was really him that re- responded to you, that's what, yeah, it's, should. it's his Twitter account. It, I know it is. J- look, I think Jason's one of the best referees in the game. Let me ask you this, though, as a fire, and I yeah. guess this is probably a really good question since you are a striker. Mm. There is some people out there that say a referee should not have the ability to stand a fight up. Yep, I agree. Really? I, I would not have thought you would agree as a striker. Yeah, I do agree. Uh-huh. Yep, I got to do everything I can to get up. Uh, it's not your responsibility to, to stand me up or break me apart of the cage. Nope. I, uh, as much of a striker as I am, I have a deep passion for wrestling and, and jujitsu. And, uh, a lot of people close to me realize that of how much I train jujitsu. And, uh, I'm actually returning tomorrow, Jason. I'm, I'm going and, and uh, gonna, gonna go back to jits tomorrow. And, uh, you know, it's my responsibility to stand up. I, it's not the referee. Did the love for jujitsu come first or love for wrestling? Um, a great question well i think jujitsu came first because like naturally with me with my pops we do a lot of stand-up jujitsu and like uh you know like uh okinawan jujitsu so it's a lot of you know joint work standing up so transitioning to brazilian jujitsu was was fairly easy for me um and wrestling too I, i really love wrestling like a lot of strikers hate it, and I, I really love it. And I, I think maybe it's because I've been surrounded by so many talented wrestlers. I kind of had no choice. Yeah, I mean, look, it's you got to have wrestling in today's game. I mean, there's, you know, I mean, yes, I mean, and, and but I think it's also of you got to have good defensive wrestling. Like, like you think of like look at a guy like Gaethje, look at a guy like Chandler. They've got wrestling credentials, but they don't use it offensively for the most part. Yeah, the goals as a striker is to have the wrestling like Chuck Liddell where. You have amazing defensive wrestling that you just force the fight to be stand up, you know, to, to be on the feet the entire time and for your opponents to have to stand up with you. Um, you know, uh, I think it's I think it's crazy how my, it's weird where like guys that have so much strength in one area. So say like, you know, Gaethje when he was first coming in was a crazy wrestler, but fell in love with his hands. And you actually see that the opposite way where guys who are crazy good at striking start falling in love with jujitsu a little bit too much. And they're going away from their strengths. And I think it's because of how much time you put in, like um, you, you put so much time into, to really try to improve your weaknesses and it ends up, you put yourself in bad positions where, you know, you should just be like just where your strengths are and just have enough to survive in the other spots. You know, the thing about Chuck Liddell, my the memory I always have for him, unfortunately for Chuck, it's a loss, mm-hmm. is uh, I remember being out at a, a local establishment here in Tampa when he fought Rampage Jackson. 
when he defended the UFC uh, light heavyweight title. I mean, and this is prime Chuck. I mean, Chuck was a superstar. Like Isn't I remember, that- I, mean, I remember he had a he had an appearance on Entourage, which one first of all one of my favorite shows of all time is like that was like that was a show like as that's how you knew you were kind of like in that pop culture type world that you could be on Entourage. But I remember the place I was at when Rampage knocks him out, Pete. I'm telling you, you could have heard a pin drop. Yeah, yeah. I'm trying to think of like. I, I can't think of one off the top of my head of where where like the the crowd is just silenced like that and uh you know Chuck Chuck was definitely like an icon for for his time for sure. That's the thing like that's the thing I do and I haven't done in a long time a because of covid primarily but I love going out to restaurants and bars that are showing a UFC pay-per-view because it really gives you a great indication of what fans think about the fighting i think a lot of times we live in this mma twitter bubble where that's how we view the sport but when you go out and you and you're outside that mma twitter bubble it really gives you an idea of what people think about the fight game and what they're looking for you know what's crazy is uh i'm the complete opposite and that's what makes the world go around i can't go out I cannot go out. I, I don't like going out for the fights. I really don't even like being around my friends for the fights. I don't even really like having anybody around me for the fights. And that is the truth. Like, I don't know if that's weird, but like, it's kind of like, I, I really, really like to focus. And like, if this person's over here talking about something else, I kind of just want to like slap them because I want to really focus on the fight. And I'm so attentive. I'm trying to hear absolutely everything. I'm trying to pay attention to everything. Not trying to talk about nothing. I'm not trying to be distracted by anything. It's cool. I would say going live is super cool. Going live is awesome because, you know, you get to have the, the actual reactions live. But like watching it at a restaurant or something, for me, it's not my style because I don't really like too many people to begin with. Like and <laughs> you know, and I wanna enjoy it. You know what I mean? I don't know. It's like like my friends like to have people over all the time for fights and I don't know, man, I I'd rather be by myself. Truthfully. I really would. Like I, I just like to watch them and uh, you know, my girlfriend, my dad, my mom, it's about it. I don't want nobody else. You get the inner circle going. Uh, I, the, the other member I have of being out for fights one time was there was this guy at the bar and he was just being belligerent you yeah, know, ba- basically saying I could take that guy. Da, da, da. I went up to him and said, "Hey, you might want to calm down a little bit." He goes, "Why?" I go, "You see the three, the three guys over there?" He goes, "Yeah." I go, "They're all professional MMA fighters." Oh boy, he got that's quiet real saying. quick. That's what I'm saying. I don't need no. I don't need nothing like that. And uh, I just, I, I don't know. It also could be the fact that I've worked in the, you know, the nightlife industry for so long, so I know how people can get. <laughs> And I think I just enjoy my own quiet time so much. Um, oh, but regardless, it is cool how the UFC is in the spotlight and how you know casuals like to watch too. And not every casual will uh, tune into a fight, obviously. Not every casual knows a lot of the fighters. Um, I would love to, to see like a, a poll of what fighters – casuals know 
We know they know McGregor. We know they know Diaz. Masvidal probably. Yes. Jones probably. Jones, 100%. They got to know Jones. Who else do casuals really know? That of current time, not not talking retired or right. Do they know? I would, I would probably Marcus? say Habib because of the Connor yep. fight. Yeah. Maybe, Maybe Holly Holm. No, I don't think so. Maybe Tony Ferguson. I don't think so. That's what I'm saying, man. Like, my buddies brought this up to me today, and we were kind of debating in our little group. It's like. He said casuals don't know who Stephen Thompson is. And I said, I think you're wrong. Oh, no, no. Oh, I agree. They don't know? I don't think they know who Stephen Thompson is. Casuals know. Okay, all right. All right, Pete. If we walked into a bar tonight, there is 10 people around the bar. They're watching us. You know, like tonight, you got the Stanley Cup uh, finals. Yeah. If I go say, are you, do you watch mixed martial arts, the UFC? They say yes. If I say, do you know who Steven Thompson is? Out of those say, 10 people. You gotta say Wonder Boy. You gotta say Wonder Boy. They gotta know. Okay, all right. How many of them? I, I Like, let's just say I put, we had 10 faces. Mm. Five MMA fighters and just five average people. Yeah. And we say, one of those is Steven Thompson. Is Wonder Boy. Can they pick him out? I don't know. I feel like they could because, like, we have to think of how big of fighters follow, like, how big their followings are. And Thompson's following is massive. I think he has like a half a million followers on Instagram. And the guy has like a hundred thousand followers on YouTube. Like, he has a ton. Um, So I feel like on this card, do people know who Diego Sanchez is? Casuals. I say no. I'd probably say no, yeah. It's a fun game. It's a real fun game. Do they know who Mighty Mouse is? That's a guy that we were talking about. That's it, right? I'd probably say no. So what are we, down to probably 10? You got to throw Ronda Rousey in there, even though she's not – everybody knows who she is. Um, well, I mean, I, I – if you ask someone to say, name as many U- current UFC champions as you can, how many could they name? Not many, because I probably couldn't name that many either. No, uh, I I don't think that they could name more than two. Like, look, I think Wiley Zhang has a chance to be a superstar for the UFC. Um, the fact that we haven't seen her since March, I think kind of hurts, you know, because sometimes I think when you have these fighters that are, um, they're progressing into becoming known names, if you only see them once every six months and obviously COVID has kind of changed a lot of things is kind of, how does that help? I, I just, like, I always use the bar analogy of when I hear someone say, oh, this guy is a superstar. Okay. If you walk in your favorite bar right now, how many people know who that guy is or that fighter is? Yeah, it's a great it's a great uh, tool for you to use in this situation, and I think it's it's a great way to look at things. I think Max Holloway, people know who Max Holloway is. I I really do. I think he I would can agree cast- with that. Yeah, I agree with that. But you know, the point of this whole thing is, is there's just not so many 
people that the general public know and recognize. Hardcore guys, if if Dana White goes and cuts Stephen Thompson tomorrow for whatever reason, hardcore hardcore fans are freaking heartbroken. Yes. Casuals casuals aren't really you know batting an eye at that. Whereas if McGregor or Habib or somebody of that superstardom, you know, just uh, you know, this gets cut, then I don't know. You, I was just thinking in my head about okay, if if you're up and coming fighter, you won't be on a Connor card. But then it, it, I remember I went the last pay I went out for was was Connor Cerrone. Yeah. Do you remember who the co-main event was? It was a female fight. It, it was a not a exciting fight. It was Holly Holm versus Raquel Pennington. I remember during that fight, looking around, just looking all around me, no one was paying attention to it. They were just waiting for Connor. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good point, man. Um, so, you know, as I, com- I, I look, I think at the end of the day, I think a lot of this, I, I think... I think it's easy to blame the UFC or the promoter that, hey, they're not promoting this person well. But I think as a fighter, you have to do things on your own to leverage leverage your brand. You have to, you know, you have to be very active on social media. You have to show your authenticity so people kind of know who you are. I think that plays a lot into it. And, And I think that if you look at the fighters who are ultimately popular on social media, is because whether it's them or it's someone inside the inner circle, they're constantly putting content out there to make you invested in them. Do casuals know Kobe Covington? I would say yes because of how he the things he has said. Yeah. Yeah, so as a company, I mean, look at the end of the day, you, when you have what, no matter what your feeling opinions are on Donald Trump, when Donald Trump is calling you out in a rally, it's a big deal. It's a huge deal. Uh, he hey, called that, out Maxwell the other day. Doesn't get much bigger than that, Jason. And as a company, the UFC, right? They have a handful of needle movers, right? Like, mm-hmm. and that's the truth. Yeah. You know, they have a bunch of regular guys that they need to, you know, fill the rosters and everything, but they have difference makers several difference makers and there are few elite connor is probably the most elite you'll ever find gsp was one of the most elite you'll ever find habib as far as marketing as far as getting you know the public behind them um it's so interesting how guys can have so much skills and their skill set just isn't enough to really create a buzz uh and that's why you see people I mean, granted, if you're really, really talented, eventually you'll start getting buzz. But a lot of times you'll see fighters create personas or get into trash talking to really build up fights to get more eyeballs on them and to create more of a buzz. And I just find that so interesting. Like to me, like I think the guy that could be that for the UFC is Francis Ngannou. Yeah. Just just because of I mean we, we talk about in boxing it's that you need that American heavyweight champion that gets everyone excited. Like I look at Ngannou in that way of just how quickly he can end fights as a heavyweight. Everyone everyone loves heavyweight fights. So like to me I think he has that potential, but like I, I think it's it's a formula. You know, and like you look at Connor. Yes, Connor knows how to promote himself, you know, and getting people interested in watching his fights, but it's also the fact that the guy delivers on fight night. Yeah, and even before he was in the UFC, he had like the entire country behind him. 
like he was a local hero. He was just like, you know, and then he gets to the UFC and now, I mean, he's just, the biggest superstar ever. Think about when he had those fights with Vegas, when Vegas would literally get overtaken by the Irish and the scenes that like, like the one, the thing that always like one of my memories of Connor that sticks out to me is the fight. I want to say it was against Chad Mendez. Maybe it was against Aldo. I want to say it was Chad Mendez where they literally had the whole arena set up for the weigh-ins and there's a shot right behind Connor where you just see just massive amount of people. I'm like, these people are here for a weigh-in. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. nothing's happening. And, and, and all they're doing is getting hammered, hammered drunk. We've never seen that type of support ever, ever. We have never seen that type of support. Um, and I think it's just so crazy because you only really see that type of support when you're in somebody's hometown, when everybody comes out. You're talking about Vegas, and you got everybody from Ireland flying in there, and everybody who has a little bit of Irish in them is now pulling for the, you know what I mean, Conor McGregor. Uh, it worked. And let's be honest about it. If you're the Las Vegas Tourism Board, you're going to every casino going, we got to make sure this fight stays in Vegas because the amount of money that is pouring into the Las Vegas economy mm-hmm. when a Conor McGregor fights, it's... You know, like you think about the ebbs and flows the UFC's had of superstars. You, you think about Chuck and, and his, you know, his reign he had. There was a little bit of time, and then it was Ronda, then it was Connor, and now it's you know who can be that next huge draw. Yeah. Because obviously, uh, you know, as we like to say, I don't think Connor and Dana are in their top eight right now. No, they're not, man. And I think it goes to. You, you have a, a fighter who's really reached, you know, his potential and has made more money than so many people. And, uh, you know, you start seeing through the BS a little bit and, you know, the ins and outs of a promoting company. And, uh, you know, he's he's guilty of that, too. I mean, he's no saint of, of trying to wiggle through getting, you know, what he wants. I mean, that's just the nature of, of the fight game. But... There's one Conor McGregor, man, and I have never seen anybody like that. Uh, the reality is is Conor is the one percenter that will stand up to Dana White. And and that brings up a great point of when they were talking about unions, we knew that, and, and most likely it's never going to happen because it just no. doesn't make sense. But the one fighter that could be the uh, – you know, the ambassador for the fighters, so to speak, is was GSP when now all that was going on. And I think now that GSP is kind of really out of the sport or whatnot, the next guy that can really just control everything, the LeBron James of our sport, is Connor. It, it really is. The one problem I see with unions is that I think there's a lot of people who are going to try to stop it from happening. And, and, and I believe there are likely going to be some managers, some managers, not all managers, some managers that will be against a union. Cause here's why when you have a union, there's a player association. All of a sudden the player association puts in rules on managers. Yep. The managers that are right now getting 10, 15, 20% of a fire's payday. I'm pretty sure the NFLPA, you get a maximum of 3% on contracts. 
Oh my God. Yeah. So that's a big reason why it probably will not happen. Um, because you'll have every manager in the well, book fighting it. Here, go find me a manager who has publicly come out in support of a union of a fighters union. Zero. Now, I think privately there are some managers that are in support of it. But I think that publicly they probably are fearful to show public support and fear it's going to hurt them with the UFC and getting their fighters fights and getting their fighters the money they want. Yeah, I think it would take the control out of their situation as well um, in, in different ways. But, you know, it's so tough to implement a union in an individual type of sport like this. Um, you know, you're not talking about team so much. You're not talking about real governing, but you know I, what I mean? Independent contractors. It's to, very weird. To me, I think the the thing that, and look, this antitrust lawsuit that's going on, looks like it's going to get class certification. I think this is going to play a huge part, but I, I truly think for, I think for things to really change is the UFC's tax return getting leaked. I think that is the only way we could ever truly see a change in the pay structure in the sport. Yeah, and I just see. I mean, you got fighters right now that I know that are that are saying that are getting so hungry on the sidelines they just want to compete. I'll compete for free. I'll fight for free. I'll fight for free. So I hate to say it, as long as these idiots are willing to fight for free or fight for freaking pennies. Okay, there's a butt for every seat, and if you're not happy with what, you're, what we're paying you, you know Joe Blow over here will be completely content with that, and probably for less. So I just don't see that happening because, you know, no offense, but a lot of my fellow fighters are just desperate, and um, you know they they just don't they don't really look at things with you know in the big picture, especially in this time. I mean, there's yeah. there's the lack of opportunity, especially on the regional scene. I mean, like I feel for fighters who either were planning to turn pro this year or maybe they turned pro like within the last year or so like i'm sitting there going like man like you can't get fights mm-hmm. yeah and once you turn pro you got to be very careful with everything because you don't want it to screw up um and uh you know even just on a local level right now i mean you have two of the biggest promotions in the world, UFC and now Bellator, really only doing things in the United States for, you know, up here. Uh, and uh, you got to travel pretty pretty far to find it elsewhere. And uh, sometimes not the best move for your career. Yeah, it's all about picking the right fights for your career. But uh, we'll be back on Wednesday over at Awesome. We'll get you ready for the UFC Fight Night card. Also, then we'll be there on Saturday. Uh, I know I've got a show tomorrow on Awesome. I'll be with uh, Alex Osmo Baker for MLB Live Before Lock, 1 p.m. Eastern time. So early uh, as the baseball playoffs start uh, start tomorrow afternoon. So uh, me and Alex will be there for Live Before Lock. And then uh, I believe I'm on Wednesday morning as well. I think it'll be me and Adam previewing that day's MLB baseball. So uh, nice. I'm going to have to tomorrow, man. I didn't even realize. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be joining you tomorrow. I'll have to – I'll have to uh, – yeah, it makes me look forward to tomorrow. You know, I'm like, I'm always fiending for some uh, for some DFS action. So, uh, you know, playoff baseball would be interesting. Yeah, playoff baseball. And then also you got uh, NBA playoffs starting on Wednesday. I'm not a big showdown contest player. Uh, usually I am a showdown monster. Um, playoffs are just tough. It's weird, though. 
because it's not a real i mean it's a real game obviously but it's not a, a normal game so the the playing time is weird uh, which you know who they're doubling up you know i mean if they're adding more you know defensive pressure to one player somebody else is going to go off so it's so you know these coaches are trying to to find every edge possible and they're really eliminating some of the, the team's best you know best shooter or something like that so it's definitely interesting yeah you gotta uh i was listening to zach lowe's podcast uh yesterday he was talking six years after lebron leaves miami lebron versus the heat in the finals man it, I'll be watching. I'm a big NBA guy, so I'll be watching. I, I, as an East Coast guy, I wish they started a little earlier, a little earlier yeah. today. Can we get like an eight o'clock tip instead of nine? <laughs> yeah, right. I know. I'm not asking. I'm not asking for too much, but uh, yeah, be sure to give Pete a follow on Twitter. He's at Pete the Heat, and May I'm at Jason underscore Floyd. Also, uh, if, if whether you're watching this on YouTube, hit that like button, hit that subscribe button. If you're listening to this on your favorite podcasting platform. Give us a five-star review. That really does help us out a lot. So that is going to do it for this edition of the Fight HQ Podcast, which comes out on Monday evenings on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. 